0: A friend of mine has just had her kitchen done. What was a small, pokey and very old-fashioned room has been transformed. Whereas once it had been a struggle to produce meals in, now she just enjoys being in this light, well-planned space. Everything looks good. But in fact, there are still outstanding niggles. Tiles that need finishing off, electrics that need checking, and so on and so on. And for each of those, there is a workman to be contacted, dates to be fixed, payments to be finally made, in short, hassle. It can be a dispiriting time to have come so far, but still not quite finished. Well, something similar is happening in chapter 6 of the book of Nehemiah. And it would help if you'd find page 489 in the church Bibles. Because we're going to be following it. As Mark said, under Nehemiah's leadership, the walls of Jerusalem have been rebuilt in a remarkably short time. And the reconstruction job is very nearly done. But verse 1 word comes to his enemies that I had rebuilt the wall and not a gap was left in it. That's great. Though up to that time, I had not set the doors in the gates. This is the final bit they're waiting for. But do you see that means the city is still vulnerable? Worse, the people could still give up because they've just had enough. Now look ahead to chapter 7, verse 1. After the wall had been rebuilt, and I had set the doors in place. In other words, it's all done. It's finished. And Nehemiah can go on to establish the security of the city by appointing gatekeepers and guards. Well, how did we get from the the start of chapter 6 to the start of chapter 7. Well, as always, Nehemiah gives God the credit. Verse 15. So the wall was completed on the 25th of Elul in 52 days. When all our enemies heard about this, all the surrounding nations were afraid and lost their self-confidence because they realized that this work had been done with the help of our God." It had taken less than two months to rebuild walls that had lain in ruins for nearly a century and a half. And God was clearly the power behind it. But there's another key to success, and that is strong and focused leadership. You see, it's Nehemiah's leadership that is under attack here. It's political his enemies know that if they can undermine Nehemiah, the work on Jerusalem could still be sabotaged. You see, God's people in a strong city is a threat to their own power. But it's also spiritual. Behind all personal enemies lies the enemy of all God's people, the devil. And as Peter reminds all believers, Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith. So from this passage, and it doesn't matter whether we think of ourselves as leaders or not, firstly, what can we learn about the devil's strategies and his weapons? And secondly, how can we resist him firm in the faith. So firstly, the devil's strategies. Strategy one, he distracts us. He distracts us. Verse two, Sambalat and Geshem, we've met these enemies many times, sent me this message. Come, let us meet together in one of the villages on the plain of Ono. Now it's hard for us to get inside the tone of what they were saying. But I want to suggest that it came across as a genuine offer of friendship. The place they mention was a village in neutral territory. And whereas in the past these enemies had been overt and outspoken in their opposition, now they seem to be suggesting conciliation. Let's meet together. But Nehemiah gives a clear, oh no. <laughs> sorry, (laughs) he sees that this would only distract him from what God had called him to do. Verse 3, I am carrying on a great project and can't go down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and go down with you? The devil hates focused Christians, those who know what God has called them to do and where God has called them to be. And one of his subtle strategies is to distract us and to dilute our energies into lots of different areas. To make us lose sight of the great project, the establishment of God's kingdom. And sometimes that distraction takes the form of letting the good be the enemy of the best. Something to watch out for. Strategy two, he grinds us down. He grinds us down. Verse four, four times they sent me the same message and each time I gave them the same answer. Think of that lion prowling round and round its prey. The devil is persistent. He doesn't give up easily. And he knows that it takes real determination to stand firm against repeated attacks. Strategy three, he lies. He lies. Jesus calls the devil a liar and the father of lies. He loves to twist the truth and use lies to discredit us or destabilize us. And the way this happened to Nehemiah was particularly unpleasant. Verse 5. The point about this unsealed letter was that everyone could read it. You see, Sanballat meant to destroy Nehemiah's reputation and his character in the eyes of all the people. Let's look at some of the persuasive language he uses. This is verses 6 and 7. It is reported among the nations... Implication, this rumor is widespread and hinting, no smoke without fire. And Geshem says it's true. An important official, his word would carry weight. And this report will get back to the king. So you will have to justify yourself against these accusations to the king of Persia. Remember, it was the king who gave Nehemiah permission to come to Jerusalem, in the first place this is a horrible defamation of nehemiah's character but it's all lies and thankfully nehemiah realizes this verse 8 nothing like it's true making it all up and he refuses to be disturbed by them you see nehemiah knows he has a mandate from a higher king he has a mandate from god to do what he is doing So, the devil distracts us, the devil grinds us down, the devil lies. And strategy four, he uses people, even those we trust. Verse 10. Now, we don't know what took Nehemiah to visit Shemaiah. But the fact that he was shut in at his home suggests that Nehemiah may even have gone to support him in some way. And what Shemaiah proposes sounds entirely sensible. Maybe even spiritual. You see, he seems to have a word, some sort of inside information that Nehemiah's life is under threat. And so he offers to go with Nehemiah to hide in the house of God inside the temple. In other words, to let God be his protection. But verse 11, Nehemiah sees that this is an invitation to cowardice. Should a man like me run away? But worse, it is a temptation to sin against God. Should one like me go into the temple to save his life? Now this is where we need a bit of Bible knowledge. You see, the word used here for temple speaks of the holy place where according to God's law, only priests were allowed to enter. So Nehemiah, who knows what the scripture says, realises that God could not possibly have sent Shemaiah with this message. But he had been bought with enemy money. Nehemiah was being tempted to save his own skin rather than pursue God's calling for him. In the same way, Peter tried to dissuade Jesus from going up to Jerusalem to be killed. And notice how Jesus saw straight through his friend's apparent concern. Get behind me, Satan. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. So, we've looked at some of the devil's strategies. And the reason they are often so effective is because they hook in to our fear. Got that? They hook in to fear. And the text makes this clear. Verse 9, they were trying to intimidate me. Verse 14, sorry, to frighten us. Verse 14, they were trying to intimidate me. Verse 19, they sent letters to intimidate me. You see, fear has the most debilitating effect on us spiritually. So fear is the devil's primary weapon. Think about it. One of the reasons we let ourselves get distracted from the kingdom of God is because we are afraid of what people think of us. Only a person who is prone to fear will be intimidated by false accusations. It was the fear of being killed that Shemaiah targeted at Nehemiah. But fear does not have the final word here. Let's learn from Nehemiah how to counter the devil's strategies and how to be strong in the midst of them. And to remember, we're going to use Jesus' instruction to his disciples. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation watch and pray let's begin with watch watch stay awake be alert be on the lookout in other words don't be taken by surprise when we are doing God's work and living God's way opposition is bound to come it's part of the territory So we need to stay spiritually alert. It's as if life is carrying along on one level which everyone can see. But we have spiritual eyes to see what is going on in another spiritual dimension. Remember, the devil is cunning. None of these strategies came with labels on telling us what he was about. He works in subtle ways, which are not obvious to the spiritually naive. Look at verse two. On the superficial level, Nehemiah is being invited to conciliation talks with Sanballat and Geshem in a safe venue. But they were scheming to harm me. The but is key. How is Nehemiah so sure? Well, obviously, he uses his common sense. After all, leopards do not usually change their spots. And these characters have opposed him time and again in the past. But more importantly for watching, Nehemiah keeps a close relationship with God. Time and again in this book, we've seen him hearing the word of the Lord praying to the God of heaven. And God warns and guides those who spend much time with him. How does he do it? Well, you may feel a loss of inner peace. You may sense a kind of check in your spirit. A scripture may come to mind which throws light on the situation. Practicing the presence of God on a daily basis hourly, moment-by-moment basis enables us to watch, to watch. And we've already seen how important it was that Nehemiah knew God's ways as laid down in the Hebrew Scriptures. And if we are to watch and be discerning what is truth, what is lie, then there's no shortcut for us but to invest time in reading the Bible. And I would say this is an area where the Christian church is at its most vulnerable. Believers no longer see it as a priority to know what God says in the Bible. And some would rather listen to prophetic, spiritual sounding words from the Lord. Now, I am not knocking authentic prophecy. Used rightly, it can be very affirming. But what tests do you have if someone comes up to you and says they have a word from the Lord for you? Do you have tests? They need to be the same as Nehemiah's. Firstly, is what they are saying in line with what God says in the scriptures? Make sure And secondly, is the prophet a person of spiritual and moral integrity? In other words, is their own lifestyle in keeping with God's word? If there is persistent immorality, stay well clear. So watch, friends, watch. And pray. When faced with enemy attacks, Nehemiah hurries to the place of prayer why because to pray is to depend on god to pray is to access his mighty resources against the enemy let's look closely at verse 9 they were all trying to frighten us thinking their hands will get too weak for the work and it will not be completed Nehemiah was spiritually alert. He saw the potential danger. So what did he do? But I prayed, now strengthen my hands. The potential problem was weak hands. So the prayer is a direct antidote. Strengthen my hands. It's a great prayer whenever you're feeling weak and there is nothing wrong with that. Lord, strengthen my hands. Strengthen. The word suggests harden. Make them prevail. Keep them utterly dependent on you, God. You see, God is well able to provide the staying power to complete his plans, but we need to access it. We need to pray. And to pray is also to leave the outcomes to God. Notice in verse 14 what Nehemiah does with his feelings about his enemies and the prophets who have been trying to intimidate him. It would have been hugely tempting to retaliate, to accuse them back to their face, to make sure his own reputation was kept safe. It would have been equally tempting to pray that their accusations carry no weight. But Nehemiah prays to the Lord, remember Tobiah and Sambalat, oh my God, because of what they've done. He simply leaves God to judge them, and he gets on with his God given task. Leaves God to worry about the reputation, leaves God to sort out the future. He just gets on with what he is supposed to be doing. That's a man who frustrates the devil's strategies. That's a person who knows his God and trusts in him for strength. So, watch and pray and get on with the job. That's the message of this chapter. Yes, when we do the work of God's kingdom, we will attract opposition don't be naive the devil will use all his cunning to lure us off track to wear us down to persuade us to less costly ways of living but remember the truth the one who is in you the Lord Jesus Christ is greater than the one who is in the world that is the devil and he is the one who we trust. Let's pray to him now. Spirit of God, just take this word I pray. And may it find a lodging in our hearts and our lives where we most need to hear it. You know those areas that we're afraid of, afraid in. Those parts of our lives where we're vulnerable. Where we tempt, are tempted to rely upon ourselves. You know where the devil has been able to get at us in some of the ways I've been describing. And we open those to you now. We confess where we have not looked to you, our God, where we have not been watching and not been praying. And we ask you in your mercy to strengthen our hands. just going to invite you if there's anyone for whom this is particularly relevant something of what I've said this evening just to stand no one's going to ask you why but it's your response to God you know that you have been vulnerable and you want to turn to him and it can be a little thing it can be a big thing or it can be just that you're feeling weak and you're feeling worn down that is enough for us to call on our God so if you want to God particularly to strengthen you in some area today then I invite you to stand and then I'll say a prayer Lord, you know our hearts, you know us inside out, you know why each of these people are standing before you and they are standing because they want you, God, to enter their lives in a fresh way to strengthen them. And so I pray by your spirit, would you strengthen their hands, strengthen their trust in you. May they know more clearly that you are their God and you are greater than he that is in the world. Fill them, I pray, to overflowing with your Spirit. Equip them with spiritual alertness that they might watch and take them quickly to the place of prayer, that they may look back on this day and see that you have strengthened them today and that their lives have been changed and transformed by you so that your kingdom may grow in their lives and through their lives in this nation. For Jesus' sake. Amen.